A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Dan Snow's History this time, it's another from our How and Why History series, our sister podcast. Uh, you can check out How and Why on its own feed, or you can listen to them once a week here. This one's all about the gunpowder plot and Guy Fawkes. If you like it, check out How and Why History. There's a new episode every Tuesday and Friday. In fact, this Friday, we'll be looking at the life and times of Joan of Arc. Uh, and also, there's 30 more of these on the History Hit TV channel. You just go over, you use the code POD1, P-O-D-1, you get a month for free. Your second month for just one pound, euro or dollar. You're going to love it. We've also launched the World Wars podcast that brings together all of the history hit podcasts on the First and Second World War with also new material. Uh, that's from uh, Dr. James Rogers. But in the meantime, let's get started. Let's remember, remember the 5th of November. Gunpowder, treason and plot. On 5th of November 1605, a planned assassination attempt on King James I was thwarted. A group of English Catholics had planned to blow up the House of Lords during the state opening of Parliament. The name of the man caught guarding the gunpowder became legendary, Guy Fawkes. Remember, remember, the 5th of November. Gunpowder, treason and plot. We see no reason why gunpowder treason should ever be forgot. Guy Fawkes, Guy Twas his intent to blow up king and parliament. Three score barrels were laid below to prove old England's overthrow. By God's mercy he was catched with a darkened lantern and burning match. So, holler boys, holler boys, let the bells ring. Holler boys, holler boys, God save the king. And what shall we do with him? Burn him. But how and why did the gunpowder plot come about? Why did Guy Fawkes become the most famous of the plotters? And what were the repercussions for Britain's Catholics? I'm Rob Weinberg, and to ask the big questions about this most famous of failed assassination attempts, I've been speaking to Dr Leonie James at the University of Kent. This is How and Why History. Leonie, thanks for joining us. Thank you. What was the gunpowder plot and how did it come about? The gunpowder plot was a Catholic plot to essentially kill King James I at the state opening of Parliament on the 5th of November 1605. And it was more about killing the king than actually blowing up Parliament, but obviously the state opening was a moment at which they knew the king would be in a particular place. 
It was also aimed at killing his son, his eldest son, Prince Henry, because he was equally Protestant heir. And it came about for a number of reasons, really, partly to do with the fact that James was newly King of England, so a change of dynasty had taken place, and it was partly to do with the fact that peace with Spain had just been agreed in 1604. In terms of the change of dynasty, Catholics in England under Elizabeth I had had quite a troubled couple of decades. They'd faced quite a lot of persecution. Something like 189 Catholics have been executed over the last few decades. That's the, the sort of the worst case scenario. On a sort of more regular basis, Catholics were fined for not attending church. So there was a lot of persecution of English Catholics. And Catholics in England were looking to James to see if perhaps their situation might relax a bit more because he was the son of Catholic Mary, Queen of Scots. He was married to a Catholic, Anne of Denmark. So they were really very hopeful that this change of dynasty would mean that they had a change of fortune. Unfortunately for them, James was sort of a national broker of, or international broker of peace, actually. One of the big things about James was the fact that he styled himself Rex Pacificus. He liked to make peace with other European powers. So one of his first aims when he became king was to kind of deal with the ongoing conflict that England had been engaged in with Spain since the sort of mid-1580s. So James basically made peace with Spain. And Spain had always been seen as the sort of saviour, the potential saviour of English Catholics. And English Catholics hoped that the Spanish would invade England restore Catholicism and put a Catholic monarch on the throne. So when James is on the throne and he's made peace with Spain, it looks less likely. And what happens actually in the first couple of months of James's reign is there are a couple of plots against him, Catholic plots, not necessarily to kill him, but to perhaps kidnap him and get him to adjust his policy towards Catholics. So in the aftermath of those plots, James doesn't persecute Catholics sort of rigorously but he does reinstate the fines starts fining Catholics for not attending church services so the mood is quite quickly different so it goes from one of hope to one of pessimism and it's in this context that the gunpowder plot is kind of formulated so I think the really interesting thing for me about this plot is that everything to do with it is very much an English thing but actually the context of it is a very European one. Was it the first assassination attempt by Catholics on Protestant rulers in Europe? No, it wasn't, no. Elizabeth I herself, there'd been several attempts, probably like even seven or eight attempts on her in, throughout the course of her reign, mainly Catholic ones. There'd been lots of plotting against Elizabeth, obviously Mary, Queen of Scots, whom I've already mentioned, she was heavily involved in a few of those. So no, it wasn't. And there'd been, you know, other European rulers, uh, William of Orange, for example, in the 1580s, he was killed by a French Catholic Henry IV of France, who notoriously was a bit equivocal about his religion, started off looking like he was a Protestant, but then had to sort of change his mind for political reasons. In the end, he was assassinated in 1610, stabbed to death a Catholic. So, no, assassinations, religiously motivated assassinations were a thing in this period. So this was a Catholic plot against a Protestant king. Who were the main players? Well, that's another interesting um, question because you know we know this as the Guy Fawkes you know that Guy Fawkes is very heavily associated with the gunpowder plot but actually it was masterminded by someone else it was masterminded by someone called Robert Catesby 
who was a gentleman from the sort of Midlands and, uh, of England. So he was very much an English Catholic. Well, he got a bit of form, actually. He'd been involved in a previous plot uh, against Elizabeth, the Essex Rebellion, towards the end of Elizabeth's reign. So he'd got a, a track record of, of plotting. But he was very disillusioned with the change of regime. And he wanted to find out whether there'd be any interest in any of the Spanish troops to help him launch this coup against the king. And that's where Guy Fawkes comes in, because he was actually recruited in Flanders. And Guy Fawkes kind of got involved, almost not accidentally, but he wasn't the main orchestrator of the plot. So why did he become the most famous of the plotters? He became the most famous of the plotters because essentially he was the one who was given responsibility for guarding the gunpowder. And the reason he was given this job was because he was the one who had, at the time they used the phrase, his face was the least well known. So people wouldn't recognise him. And one of the reasons why they wouldn't recognise him was because he was of relatively low birth. And that's partly to do with his background. I mentioned that he was recruited in um, Flanders by this John Winter. Guy Fawkes has a really interesting personal story. He was a Yorkshireman by birth and he was actually brought up a Protestant for the first probably decade of his life until his father died, his father having been a Protestant, and his mother remarried into a Catholic family. And it was at that point that he seems to have been heavily impressed by Catholicism and thereafter became a Catholic. And in the early 1590s, he was so convinced that you know, Catholicism was the, the way forward that he actually sold his house in Yorkshire and went off to the Low Countries to fight in the, the Spanish army against the Dutch. So fighting in a Catholic army against the Protestant Dutch. So when... This John Winter was scouting in Flanders on behalf of Catesby. Guy Fawkes pops up and he seems to have all the right sort of characteristics for getting involved in the plot. The Duke of Suffolk carried out the search. There, having seen all the lower rooms, he found in the vault under the upper house great stores of logs, faggots and coals. And, asking Wynard, keeper of the wardrobe, to what use he had put those lower rooms and cellars. He told him that Thomas Percy had hired both the house and part of the cellar or vault under the same, and that the wood and coal therein was the said gentleman's own supply. The army commander found Thomas Percy's man Guy Fawkes standing outside, his clothes and boots on, at so dead a time of night. He decided to arrest him. Then he went and searched the house, where after he had made them turn over some of the billets and coals, he found one of the small barrels of powder, and afterwards all the rest to the number of 36 barrels, great and small. And then, searching the fellow whom he had taken, found three matches and all other tools wanted to blow up the powder ready upon him. Who tipped off Parliament? That's a good question. We think it was someone called Francis Tresham, who was another one of the 13 actual co-conspirators that we know of that Catesby had, had organised. And he wrote a letter to a cousin of his who was in the House of Lords, someone called Lord Mount Eagle, and warned him that it may be a good idea to stay away from the state opening of Parliament. And this letter came into the hands of 
members of the the king's sort of closest group of advisors, the Privy Council, and they started to investigate and to put out feelers and find out more. And as part of that investigation, they searched underneath the Houses of Parliament, and it's here that they found Guy Fawkes guarding the various barrels of gunpowder, and they sort of questioned him and then ended up arresting him. And the rest is, as I say, is history. But How much explosives did they actually find with Guy Fawkes, and how did he get it there unnoticed? Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question because it was a lot. It was supposedly 36 barrels of gunpowder, which equated to... In old style, I think you'd call it 1,800 weight or something, which I think now is about a metric tonne, so it's a lot. Would it have brought down Parliament? It definitely would. And this, this is where you know, Guy Fawkes was important because he was a soldier. So he knew what he was doing. He knew about explosives. He knew about what would be needed. So he was an essential part of the planning of the plot. But no, I mean, it, if it had exploded, it would have been very effective. But the, how they managed to get it all there without being discovered earlier was because Catesby had actually rented a house opposite the Houses of Parliament. So he had rented a house in Lambeth, Vauxhall, that kind of area. And that's where the gunpowder was originally stored. And obviously Lambeth is not far across the water from Westminster. So he would, under cover of darkness, they transported all the barrels across. They did it at night, basically. Got it into the basement of the other house that he was renting, right within the precincts of Westminster, you know, obviously you wouldn't be able to do it now, but in those days it was society was different. So Guy Fawkes got caught and the other conspirators? No, and I always feel slightly sorry for Guy Fawkes in this respect because he does seem to have been sort of hung out to dry in a way, um, if that's not a pun, um, <laughs> according to what happens to him at the end. When it became obvious that the plot had been discovered, the senior ringleaders like Catesby, they actually left town Guy Fawkes was arrested in the early hours of 5th November and Catesby and his friend heard about this and his co-conspirators heard about it. They left, they fled back to his country house in the Midlands and they were planning to kind of launch a coup there. They tried to raise a few Catholic, you know, to get the Catholic gentry on side and, and kind of launch a sort of mini rebellion, but it all fell flat and they are killed in the process of putting that down. So Fawkes is really one of only two people who are left behind who are actually arrested and then interrogated. And it was Fawkes and this John Winter who'd originally recruited him. And it's from their interrogations that we know so much about how the plot was actually put together. So, yeah, poor old Guy Fawkes. He was really the fall guy for people who are higher up the social hierarchy than he was. Was the Catholic clergy aware of the plot? I think specifically we know that there was one... Um, Catholic priest who definitely knew about it um, and that's because Robert Catesby had given confession to this priest so he obviously you know, later on he gets caught and um, divulges the, the fact that he knew about it and he's eventually executed. Um, generally I think Catholic clergy in England were obviously aware that there had been previous attempts to you know overthrow Protestantism and um, put a Catholic monarch on the throne um, so I'm sure they would not be surprised by this, basically. But we only know of one who's really closely associated with it. And were there then repercussions for Britain's Catholics following the gunpowder plant? Not really, which is another interesting uh, feature of the aftermath of it. And that's partly because James I was a really clever, very astute politician. He knew that this was an extremist plot. 
he didn't blame the whole Catholic population for this. So he took the view that he would severely punish the offenders, the people who were closely involved in it. But actually there was no massive retribution, no sort of huge persecution of Catholics thereafter. And it's really interesting that over the course of his whole reign, 25 Catholics were executed, quite a few of them associated with this plot and and the other plots that took place which compared with the you know, nearly 200 under Elizabeth is a, a lot less. So he was, he was very sensible in terms of recognising that this was extremist rather than a general problem. Why did this event in particular become so memorialised as Guy Fawkes Night with all of its attendant fireworks and burning of the guy? Yeah. Again, this is a sort of interesting feature of the whole plot, really. The reason that it became so sort of embedded in the English calendar, if you like. It was partly to do with James himself. In the aftermath of the plot, he essentially passed an Act of Parliament called the Thanksgiving Act. And this Act said that on the 5th of November every year, special church services should be held to celebrate, to give thanks for the fact that he'd been delivered from almost near death. And people were obviously annually reminded of the fact that the 5th of November represented a a Protestant triumph over Catholicism, if you like. That continued, really, on the religious side for a couple of hundred years. Bonfires were a very 17th century thing. So on many occasions, royal weddings famous battles being fought, coronations, people would light bonfires in the streets and have parties. And that actually started quite spontaneously almost at the moment of the plot itself. So from the very early days when the news of the failed plot became known, people did have bonfires in the streets. And that has continued. In the early days, it wasn't Guy Fawkes who was kind of burnt as an effigy on these bonfires. It was actually the Pope. And that continued for quite a while. It wasn't until the 19th century, really, that we start to get the emergence of Guy Fawkes being the effigy on the bonfire, and it starts to become known more openly as Guy Fawkes Night on a more general basis. But the 5th of November is a really interesting date, really, because it became embedded in the the English national calendar from 1605 onwards, essentially, and it became associated with English Protestantism. It was actually used in terms of propaganda as well. At strategic moments across the century, if there, you know, it was a symbolic, the 5th of November, of the triumph of Protestantism over Catholicism. When William III invaded the country, Dutch William III invaded the country in 1688 to try and clear up the mess from Catholic James II, he invaded on the 5th of November. Um, He chose that date specifically to kind of remind people of here we are again, we're kind of putting down the potential Catholic um, aggressor. It was kind of effectively woven into the fabric of English life in this way. So partly to do with James, partly to do with bonfires being a a way of celebrating anyway in this period. In conclusion, was it a completely foolhardy plan? Did the plotters have any chance of replacing the country's Protestant government with Catholic leadership? I think there are two answers to that question. I think it was a, they probably had more chance of actually blowing up Parliament than they did of really replacing James with any Catholic alternative, because there wasn't really a Catholic alternative. Because part of the plot was not really well thought out in terms of who would replace James. There was talk of perhaps putting one of his younger children on the throne, like Charles, Duke of York, who was future Charles I, who was about four or five at the time. 
possibly him or possibly James's daughter, Elizabeth, who was about nine. But, you know, this was complex. They weren't adults. It would have involved, you know, having some kind of regency government. So it wasn't really that well thought through. And in that sense, it was foolhardy. But potentially it could have worked, you know, if Guy Fawkes hadn't been discovered. Poor old Guy Fawkes, but yeah. Leonie James, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. How and Why History. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dan Snow's History. Please follow this show wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us and you'll be doing us a big favour. Don't forget you can also listen to all of these podcasts ad-free and watch hundreds of TV documentaries when you subscribe at historyhit.com slash subscribe as a special gift. You can also get your first three months for just £1 a month when you use code Dan Snow at checkout.